Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Damn Fine TV podcast. I'm your host, Jasmine, writer and TV enthusiast. This time on the show, my guests and I are counting down to 2020 with a look at some of our favorite shows from the past decade. These are the shows that left a lasting impact on our lives, the ones that changed the way we think about TV, and some that are still in the process of doing so. As long as it started in 2010 or after, it's eligible. And we're no experts, but this is the best of the decade, at least according to us. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's get started. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being here again. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yay. Uh, Listeners, you might remember Jeff from last year's episode, The Best of 2018. And as you know, we're here to kind of count down to 2020. We're talking about our favorite shows from the last 10 years. Absolutely. But before we get into that, last year when you were on the show, we didn't really have time to dive into it, but I do like to ask first-time guests what the first show was that they really Mm. fell in love with, the show that really got them excited about TV. Right. So what was that for you, Jeff? Um, Well, I was thinking about that uh, for the past little bit and thinking about it again today, and I was trying to come up with ideas with Jen, uh, my girlfriend, and really the show that stood out the most, the one that really popped in my head first, was uh, Polka Dot Door. Okay, awesome. (laughs) Uh, It was the last thing I could remember that really had me hooked I guess on TV in general like it was that one first show that every week I couldn't wait to see that's amazing and like I know every line every song and loved all the characters (laughs) Uh, my mom actually worked for TVO okay cool uh, in what what capacity I'm not entirely sure but uh she got a lot of TV Ontario for people not in Canada Yeah. yeah um she got me a lot of memorabilia so I had like a like a Near life size stuffed pokeroo, which uh, was the greatest thing I think yeah. I ever had as a child or mom was a hero a young for boy. that. But yeah, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, that's definitely the show that first got me hooked on TV, and uh, that was kind of the longest run that like really made me fall in love with it all. That's so cool. So that's like a deep childhood cut. Yeah, that's from like, super young. Yeah, like I was trying to think, like, oh, is that the right answer? You know what I mean? Because there's the no time, right like, answer. You oh, know? fair like, enough. But like, I was like, what, maybe four years old, give or yeah, take, when something yeah. like that came out. So was it just me being a kid? And I, you know, it's just that that thing that my parents put me in front of the TV to shut me up for a little bit, and that's yeah. why, like, I loved it. Or was it really that 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 one true thing that connected me with TV? Yeah. But uh, I think it really was. I think it was. I fell in love with it. Yeah, well, the fact that you can remember that you were so excited to watch the next episode and stuff, yeah. I think that's pretty telling. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. So were you, did you know, like, the sort of twist of the whole thing? Like, were you in on that as a kid? Like, did you get that the guy was also Pokeroo? I didn't as a kid. Yeah, okay. Um, obviously learned that as I grew up. I think my mom always tried to allude to that because she worked at TVO right. and tried to give me like certain little behind the scenes. Uh, like, where do you think he went, Jeff? Isn't yeah. that weird? Yeah, yeah. but uh, maybe I wasn't the brightest child, but I learned later <laughs> on. And uh, no, it was, that was a really cool thing to find out. Actually, um, I was discussing with my girlfriend as well that I could be wrong, but I believe that my life-size stuffed Pokeroo was signed uh, by the guy as well, which is a cool thing now. Like, Totally. Sadly, it's uh, stuffed in my attic, uh, covered in dust somewhere, but still have it, full though. memorabilia, and one day 
if I ever have a son, I'm going to dust that off and give it to him or daughter. Yeah, yeah. Maybe somewhere I can find reruns of uh, Polka Dot Door. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's got to be clips on YouTube or something. At the very least. Yeah, like, it has like to that. exist somewhere still. It better. I love that. That I mean, <laughs> there is no right answer, but that's a great answer. I think that's <laughs> such a deep cut. I mean, so many people have said either shows from when they were really, really young like that or just a bit older, like 10, 12, that kind of age yeah, range. Yeah, and so. I can see that. That was the issue that I was having, trying to think, like, what is that one show? Like, yeah. I was thinking of other things like The Simpsons or something like that, you know, right. that really got, like, a lot of people hooked yeah. on TV. Like, every Sunday you were sitting in front of that TV. But well, and all the reruns, too. I mean, yeah. you could watch The Simpsons for days. Exactly. Yeah. But, I mean... I was trying to think about, like, you know, what your question really means. And, I mean, if it's the first time it ever happened, mm-hmm. then it's got to be younger than that, right? So, yeah. absolutely, awesome. polka dot door. So cool. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's fast forward a little bit in time and get to this past decade. So, Jeff, you've chosen three shows from mm-hmm. the past 10 years. Yeah. And these are in no particular order. We are going to start with Letter Kenny. Okay. Now, I think one of the characters from this show was your pick last year. I think like yeah, Wayne, Wayne or something. Yeah, the main right. Character, okay. Yeah. So we did we've talked about the show a little bit before if you guys heard that episode, but we're gonna dive into it again. So the basics. Letterkenny has been on since February of twenty sixteen until present day. It airs on Crave which is a Canadian kind of streaming network. Do you know if it airs yeah. in the States anywhere or if it it's does, on Netflix on, or something? Uh, Hulu. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, And even though it's only been out since uh, 2016, it has seven seasons and five holiday specials. That is an insane amount of content. I mean... Each season is only six episodes, six episodes so a half I an mean, hour each episode, but some some shows have twenty two episodes a season, yeah. so it's not a crazy. And amount, they do release two seasons a year, right? Yeah, so, I mean, it's plus still, a they're special. They're still putting in a lot of time. Yeah, so, yeah. I know. I think that's incredible. But okay, so Letterkenny is a Canadian sitcom created by Jared Kiso. Is that how you say that? Yep. Kiso, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. And he also stars in the show. And it actually began as a web series back in 2015, but then was uh, sort of picked up by Crave and turned into a a full-fledged thing. And essentially, it follows the lives of the residents in Letterkenny, which is, I think, a fictional town, but supposed to depict this kind of rural community in Ontario. It basically just follows life in a small town. I know that kind of the main characters are the farmers, I'm pretty sure, right? Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're, They're all farmers to some extent. You never really learn, aside from Wayne, what they all do. Okay, interesting. Um, I mean, the one character, Katie, Wayne's sister, all you ever really see her doing is smoking weed and picking up multiple (laughs) men at a time. But yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. No, that's pretty much it. The only thing else I was going to say is that if if maybe listeners won't know Letterkenny, but they might know Trailer Park Boys, and there are some echoes between the two shows, but I think Letterkenny, yeah, I think Letterkenny has its own vibe for sure. Like, it's definitely a fresh take on the kind of small town Canadian lifestyle. Absolutely. I mean, like, obviously a show like Trailer Park Boys has a huge, huge following. Yeah. It never really took off so greatly in the States, um, whereas Letterkenny has. Oh, interesting. Um, And I think that's because Letterkenny, in its own way, is a little more realistic. Okay, yeah. Not that, like, you know, I guess if you could imagine a bunch of dudes getting drunk and stoned and committing crimes every day who live in a trailer park can't be somewhat realistic but uh these are just letter kitty's just about good folk yeah good salt of the earth 
folk. Yeah. You know, they work hard. Down to earth. And they love to drink a beer on the weekend, you know? Like, yeah. it, it's a little more relatable. Yeah, I mean, there's that real criminal element to Trailer Park Boys that yeah. doesn't really come up as often, I don't think, or it's not as, like, in your face in Letterkenny, I don't think. No, in Letterkenny, it's more pranks and that sort of thing. Like, they gotcha. don't necessarily try to rob a movie theater's vending machines right. for money. So yeah. It's yeah. not, like, each season of Trailer Park Boys is really centered around, like, the big the big heist that they're yeah, going to pull off yeah, or whatever. Absolutely, but, absolutely. Okay, so why does it make your list? How does Letterkenny out of so many shows make a top three for you? Fair enough. Uh, so not to beat a dead horse, but I think that was actually one of the things that I at least really loved about it, that it was just about kind of everyday small town folk. And mm. even though, you know, being from Toronto and everything, I clearly am not a farmer, but <laughs> there were still a lot of relatable things. You know, they're they're very big on tradition, very big on family and friends. And I mean, at least for a lot of us, I think I think we could all relate to that. Like sure. it is they those sorry, those things are some of the most important things in my life. So yeah. I think I connected with it. And it just felt so Canadiana without being over the top. God, yeah, yeah, which like I, I think was is proud, really important. <laughs> like I was proud that this was something that came from Canada yeah. that now other people in the world are taking interest in and seeing. And, you know, it's not just Trailer Park Boys or Brian Adams. You know what I mean? Oh, like, my God. I totally relate to that. Like, there's a show, actually, we were talking about it on another episode. It's called Orphan Black. And mm. for me, that is one of the shows that I'm really proud comes from Canada because right on, yeah. it's one of the first shows I think that it's, I mean, it's produced in Canada, it's filmed in Canada, but it doesn't have that like blue lens look to right. it that so many Canadian shows have. And I think ca Canadian television is definitely getting better, but yep. I totally understand that thing about like being, having the pride of that yeah. show being shown to other countries and actually feeling good about the depictions of the people in it. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and like you were talking about where it's filmed, how like Letterkenny is a fictional town, but it's actually filmed in Sudbury. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, it, it also, it, it all takes place here. And I think what, made me fell in love with it even more was I saw a believe it was a CTV special. Okay. Um, and they interviewed uh, the main character, Wayne, and he, even in real life, is just as Canadian as it gets. Um, from what I can recall, when he was growing up, he was super big into hockey, and I believe he was even scouted by some potential NHL teams. Hmm. Um, but he just had the acting bug. Yeah. Um, he actually did a movie, a, t a TV movie, I believe, where he played Don Cherry. <laughs> like he's, okay. he's, he's huge into that world, but uh, acting just really was his thing, his calling. And uh, Letterkenny, like you said, it, it started as kind of a webisode thing. They did a thing on YouTube that was um, supposed to be the problems of Canadians. Okay. Uh, where they joked about stuff like Tim Hortons and farming and all that sort <laughs> of, of stuff. And yeah. But after seeing this special and just this guy, he seems, the guy who plays Wayne, just seems like such such a good guy, such a nice guy. He really cares about his community, his family, like he's always doing things for them. And and that's part of his character in the show too, yeah, right? So there's a is. lot of, I mean, I feel like that lends a lot of authenticity. Absolutely. And if he's creating it, I mean, this is the same guy that is creating it, developing it, right? So yeah, him it, and uh, the the priest, uh, Dwayne, um, there so he's Dwayne. <laughs> yeah, so he is the the main writer of the show and director of the show, the priest. And uh, 
just, I don't know, it's just the chemistry even between them on the show. It's just, it's magnetic. Yeah. Like, I just love it. Awesome. Yeah. What about other characters? Like, so I know you really, I mean, maybe not identify with Wayne, but you at least, I mean, he was your pick for character. So mm-hmm. there's something there that draws you to him, right? But right. what about other characters, other relationships? Like, is that another part of the show that really stands out for you? Like the, yeah, those relationships, those connections. Fair enough. So one thing that I like about it is they do kind of make it a bit clicky in the way. So there's the Hicks, you know, Wayne, his sister, his best friends, uh, Daryl and Squirrely Dan. Okay. Um, There's the skids, the drug addicts of the town. Yeah. Uh, Stuart. And and there's a few others. I apologize. I can't recall the names right now, but uh, they're all meth heads. They cook meth in their basement and their mother's basement. And (laughs) of uh, course, <laughs> uh, you got the jocks, uh, Riley and Jonesy, the hockey players, yet they all again seem to find a connection, right? Like, I, I've actually watched quite a few shows where Riley and Jonesy, the two hockey players, you know, they have their hockey boy lingo, okay? Um, and I can't stand that shit. Like, I grew up with friends who were like hockey players, and gotcha. it's so true, like, just that, that lifestyle that all you want to do is play hockey, pick up girls you know, eat appetizers and take naps. Like that's all you ever want to do. Apps and naps. Yeah. Appies and nappies. And, uh, but it was, it again, became relatable in that sense. And I started trying to picture the show. Because you knew people like that. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I started trying to picture the show without them. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, okay, well, what would my life have been if I didn't have those friends? Like as much as they would irk me at times, they were still great people in their own way. And like, I'm like in the same way, the show wouldn't be the same if they weren't a part of it. Yeah. Right. They so add I mean, that element. I think that's one, another thing that this show does very well is every character does play a part. Yeah. Even though you have your main group, you know, Wayne, Katie, Squirrely Dan and Daryl, the rest of the show wouldn't be what it is without the supporting cast. Gotcha. Like they all play an integral role, which is pretty rare. I mean, sometimes there, there's a lot of TV shows out there where you don't really give a shit aside from the yeah. main characters. Who's totally. There. You could do without them for sure. Yeah, They're not really yeah. doing anything interesting in their stories. Yeah, definitely. But this show would fall apart without the rest of the cast. So it's, it's kind of nice to see that. So it is like a true ensemble in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you know much about the cast? Like, are they... I mean, to me, they're relative unknowns just because I haven't really seen them in anything else. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you know more about them? Do you know if they're all Canadian or if they have so other as projects? as far as like, I know, yeah, they do try to keep it uh, all Canadian as far as where they hail from. Yeah. Uh, the gentleman who plays Squirrely Dan, and I apologize, I don't know his name in real oh, life, okay. but he, I know he is a stand-up comedian. Okay. Um, Katie, the sister, she's had a few roles in, I think, kind of like B-class movies, nothing uh, too major. But aside from that, like, I haven't seen a lot of the characters in much else. Hmm. Riley and Jonesy, the two hockey players, I, I believe this is their their first attempted acting ever being on a show and uh they're doing pretty well with that but um the the director and writer the main director and writer uh the priest he apparently has been on other stuff too but never anything big i I don't think much that uh most people out there listening would really know um i definitely hadn't 
heard of anything, and I mean, I can't even list it now. So that's how <laughs> rememberable it was. But, yeah, fair uh, enough. I think this was all their first like big break. Yeah. No, I just wondered because I think it's cool if they're hiring local talent and really keeping it kind of in the family, quote yeah. unquote. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like bringing in Canadian talent and. And Wayne, like he he did the Don Cherry movie, and he was in some right, very yeah. short lived Canadian cop drama. Hmm. But, uh, but yeah, aside from that, uh, I don't believe much else. Okay, cool. Um, what was my next question? Oh, you mentioned that it has been pretty popular in the States. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm curious how you know that. Like, I'm not doubting you or anything. No, I just enough. like how. Well, at first it was initially only on Crave. It was a Crave original. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they it's... saw the, the YouTube series or whatever, and then they optioned yeah. it. And yeah. yeah, exactly. And then I think it's within the last year or two, um, Hulu picked it up. So, I mean, I guess that helped to kind of put it out there in the States. And they actually do a live tour, um, which, from what I understand, consistently sells out no matter where it is here or the States. Gotcha. Uh, So it seems to be doing pretty well. Um, I I I actually have a friend who lives in Chicago and without me ever mentioning it to him, he asked me if I had ever seen it. Cool. So clearly it is translating well over there. Because, I mean, again... Obviously, there's a lot of people like that there as well, right? I mean, farming's huge in the States, so, I mean, you can relate to that. I mean, who doesn't like to have a beer and a lot of relatable subjects, no matter whether you're a Canadian or an American. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. For somebody that has never seen the show, Mm -hmm. because there are so many holiday specials, like I was looking at the list of them today, and they really do, like... Easter, Halloween, St. Patrick's Day. Like, it's not just a Thanksgiving and a Christmas special, which I think is really cool. Would you recommend, though, that people start right at the beginning? Or is there a particular episode, particular special that you would recommend and say, watch that one. If you like that one, you're going to like it. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um, You could do either. Okay. Uh, There are episodes, I think it was in season two, episode three, I believe, is called Relationships. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene where the cast literally just talks about the noises that girls and guys make in porn. I I feel like we talked about this one, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and there's about four of them all going off at the same time, and I literally laugh so hard I think I peed a little. (laughs) Um, The last episode of the most recent season, um, sorry, the latest season, they start an agricultural show where people can call in and ask agriculture-related questions. Okay, like Um, a show within a show. Yeah, exactly. And then the last episode, they decide they don't want to do the agricultural show anymore, so they just get hammered, and okay. Wayne hammered is one of the greatest things you could ever see. Uh, so, I mean, you could pick up episodes like that and just love it, and then go back and start, yeah. and then everything would make sense, or any of the specials. But I think if you, like, especially for the specials, the the Thanksgiving, the Christmas, the St. Patrick's Day, you're not going to know who certain characters are. Okay. If you don't start from the beginning. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily matter, because if you just want to watch a show that's funny, and see something new. Yeah. It'll like work maybe that if somebody way, has a favorite holiday, they could just yeah. dive in and yeah, then. Absolutely. But if you want to know who everybody is and why certain people are there yeah, and what's going enough. on, I would start at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just was wondering because when I was looking at the list today, I just thought, I wonder how much you do need to know for each of the specials. Like, not that not that they don't have character development in the show, obviously. Right. And obviously, starting from the beginning is something that I would recommend too. But I just thought it might be interesting if, like, the story about Halloween was just kind of a real one-off type thing that you could just dive into. You know, it's funny that you said that because that special actually 
is a little bit more of a one-off. It has okay. all the original <laughs> cast. Like yeah. I, as far as I can recall, there was no new characters introduced there. Interesting. So that would be fine. But yeah. the Christmas special does have some newer characters from later on in the seasons. Um, I mean, Jay Baruchel. Oh, yeah. Is in uh, one of the more recent seasons. So, I mean, if you kind of happen to start there, you might wonder why he isn't in other seasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they try to have uh, a lot of guest stars and stuff. So, yeah. You, yeah, is he like a regular now or? No. Oh, okay. No, he's only in one season for just a few episodes. Okay. Uh, he plays a hard right character who uh, clashes real hard with those farm folk. Yeah, but I bet. Uh, again, great, great guest spot. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say. He's pretty famous for Canada, I would say. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But no, start at the beginning. You can start anywhere, but if you really want to fall in love with the show, because yeah. the first episode is what reeled me in. Nice. And there is another Christmas special coming up, right? There, well, no, there's a new new season. Oh, okay. So every year they do do two seasons, like yeah. you were saying earlier. Um, usually, I believe the first one comes out around October. Okay. And then the second one is always released Christmas Day, which gotcha. really is the best gift you right. can ever ask for. I think we talked about this last year, <laughs> and you were just like, it's always the best gift. Like, I always get to wake up on Christmas and, like, open that gift. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, unless you have any final thoughts, anything you really want people to know about the show or. No, I think we summed it up pretty well. I mean, they're, cool. they, it's one of those shows that's so simple, but yeah. that's what makes it so perfect. Yeah. There doesn't have to be a lot to it. Like, it's almost like Seinfeld in a way, not to compare it to Seinfeld, but just, you know, there was never much really going on in Seinfeld. It's just like, there isn't a ton going on here, but that's what makes it so easy and fun to watch sure you know a really comfortable space to kind of step into because it's such a I mean a basic foundation that you can then build so much from like all of this character development yeah. like yeah exactly. the community yeah, building yeah absolutely nice Sweet Vicious was part vigilante justice seeking drama part odd couple comedy and aired on MTV for just one season. It was created by Jennifer Caton Robinson and starred Eliza Bennett and Taylor Dearden. Though most of its first and only season aired in 2016, there were a few episodes that aired the next year and so I still considered it one of the best shows of 2017. And here's what I had to say when I wrote about it back then. Sweet Vicious was impressive from the very beginning for many reasons, but most importantly because it treated sexual assault and rape culture with the honesty, respect, and nuance they deserve. Obviously, this treatment should be standard by now, and while certain shows are making the effort, many still get it very, very wrong. In addition to sexual assault, Sweet Vicious managed to explore a wide range of serious subject matter, body shaming, victim blaming, racism, sexism, the list goes on, without ever delving into after-school special territory. Despite dealing with such heavy themes, the show was highly entertaining and something I looked forward to each and every week. For those of you who don't know, Sweet Vicious is the story of two young women who are tired of the myriad ways in which the legal system and institutions in general continuously fail the victims of sexual assault. Taking matters into their own hands, they deliver vigilante-style justice to the accused on their college campus. As cathartic as that sounds, and trust me, it's cathartic to watch too, Sweet Vicious was wise to tackle the ethical challenge presented by its own premise, adding even more value to the overall narrative. 
The show has a little something for everyone. It's part superhero story, part odd couple comedy, part young adult drama without all the melodramatic pitfalls, and even part murder mystery. Its dark and harrowing scenes are skillfully balanced with light and intelligent humor. You may find yourself in tears one moment, but laughing out loud the next. The female friendships at its core are enviable for their authentic complexity, and they drive home the importance of positive relationships between women. Unfortunately, Sweet Vicious didn't get the kind of ratings MTV or I had hoped for, and the show was canceled after only one season. It's a damn shame, too, because it's exactly the kind of series the world could really use right now, and there's nothing else quite like it. The show's creators promised a second season would have focused on more diverse stories, too, featuring characters of color and LGBTQ folks, which were far too scarce in season one. Diversity was actually the one area where Sweet Vicious did fail, mostly because it didn't actually try. And I had hoped that the series would get to correct this glaring issue, but alas. I won't lose hope for Sweet Vicious, and I still haven't, me speaking from 2019. Revivals are pretty hot in TV right now, and even if the worst shows from the 80s and 90s can get second chances, I think that Sweet Vicious deserves a second chance too. Well, let's move on to your second pick. I'm going to go with Shameless. Okay. So Shameless has been on the air since January of 2011. So really at the beginning of the decade kind of there. Yeah. Um, And it's still running. It's a Showtime show. It's been on for 10 seasons, which made it the longest running scripted series for Showtime. (laughs) And it's a dark comedy. Is that what you would call it? Yeah, I think that's more on the comedy side, but it definitely has that touch to it for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, developed by John Wells, and I think it's actually adapted from a British series. It is, absolutely, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. And it stars William H. Macy, Emmy Rossum, although I feel like she left for this most recent season. Spoiler alert, she did. She yeah. left last season, and I Oh, yeah, think- spoilers abound in this episode. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but I think a lot of people were very fucking happy about that, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, essentially it centers around a dysfunctional family William H. Macy is a single father raising six kids, and he's an alcoholic. A <laughs> uh, drug addict, alky. Oh, okay, drug addict, yeah. too. Okay, oh, yeah, and so basically, like, the kids are taking care of themselves, <laughs> and it's basically just, like, a look at working class and how alcoholism impacts a family, and kind of a quote that I read, I mean, this is all from Wikipedia, you guys, <laughs> but kind of, like, a quote that I read from the person that was developing the show was that they didn't want it to be, like, Roseanne or um, what was the other show that they quoted? Oh, My Name is Earl. Like, they didn't want it to be like that. They didn't want it to be blue collar. They wanted it to be no collar. Mm -hmm. So good way to put it. Right? Yeah. I thought that was a really interesting quote. So, I mean, this, it definitely does sound like a dark comedy. It sounds kind of (laughs) fucked up. Um, So how does this make your list? All right. Well, kind of everything you just said sums it up in a way. Um, Yeah. I didn't watch it for years. I didn't really know much about it. I knew, the, like, as you said, it was based off a UK version of the show. Okay. So um, how long ago did you get into it then? Probably about four or five years ago now. Okay, yeah. Uh, but the first few years I didn't watch it. It just, I didn't like some of the cast. I, I was never a huge fan of William H. Macy. I, mm-hmm. To be fair, I didn't really know him from much. Yeah. Um, I saw him in Jurassic Park 3 where he played a 
tile sa- tile salesman on searching for his son on an island of dinosaurs, and <laughs> I like I I don't know. I just wasn't a huge fan. Uh, some of the other cast, I had no idea who they were, and I just didn't care. Yeah, um, I didn't recognize anybody else to be honest, but that could just be on me. No, I, I again, I don't think they were in much. I mean, it's a fairly young cast for the most part. Right. I mean, it seems like it's mostly the kids, and then William yeah. H Macy. So. Yeah, pretty much, but. It's one of those kind of things where one day I literally had nothing else to watch. I had Netflix and put a show on. Yeah. And it just had me in stitches. Like to to say that William H. Macy plays an alcoholic is putting it so lightly. I've Okay. Aside from and not to bring up Trailer Park Boys again, but uh the guy who played Mr. Leahy. Yeah. Uh, played one of the most convincing alcoholics I've ever seen in my life. Oh, and on that show, yeah. Oh, my God. barely drank a drop in real life. Yeah, that's nuts, eh? So to see a guy like William H. Macy, who, again, like I said, in most of the stuff that I'd seen him before, he played a very blue-collar, very down-to-earth, very nice, prim and proper man, playing this guy who would literally do anything for a rock of crack was just incredible, and he does it so well. He's, you, you hate him. But you love him so much, you can see there's a heart in there somewhere. Um, but just the whole family, again, like you, if minus the sister Fiona, Emma Rossum, I believe you said her name is. Yeah, um, Emmy Rossum or something. Yeah, yeah. minus her. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could do without the rest of the cast. Okay. So basically Fiona was the matriarch of the family. Mm-hmm. The father couldn't take care of anyone. He didn't give a shit. Like the kids were just kind of another kind of sent dad to the welfare check. Like he, he didn't really give a shit aside from that. Yikes. Brought him in money to get uh, more booze, more drugs, whatever yeah. else. Yeah. So she was the eldest sister and she took care of the family. And when you first start watching the show, you love her because mm-hmm. you can see that, you, you know, at least you believe she always has her family's best interests at heart. Well, As, she stepped up, you know, yeah, like she's exactly. taken on that role exactly. probably way too young. But I think because of that and, you know, putting it that way is good. It's justifiable who she becomes. She mm-hmm. becomes very self-absorbed. You know, I've done all this for you guys all my life and where's mine. Sure. And, yeah. She just she just wanted too much too control too much control sorry and she was just very very annoying and rude and mean. Yeah. And she just became a character that you couldn't enjoy. Yeah. I I think what makes it uh kind of a show that would stand out for other people aside from myself is I think a lot of people in this world know someone who is that William H Macy character. Right. You know whether it's a dad, an uncle, an aunt, whatever. Uh, just someone in your family who was into drugs, into booze, Absent, into whatever, yeah. but yeah, but you could see that they were, they had some heart. They, they were, they were good somewhere deep down there. You know what I mean? Right. But um, just all the drugs and alcohol are just really covering it up. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like living in the skids. I don't know if everyone can find that so relatable, but I think that's also what made it better. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to see what that struggles like in a bit more of a comedic light, but, uh, Apparently, it does ring true. It is in Chicago. Um, okay. My friend from there doesn't live in those parts, but he's been in those areas and said, dude, that that is kind of how life is down there. Yeah. Well, um, and sorry not to interrupt, no, but no. Um, again, like the when I was reading all of these quotes from the creator, he was saying that the network really wanted them to set it in a trailer park or in like a southern state. 
in the okay. U.S. And he really fought for it to just be in, like, Midtown somewhere or, or like, just a basic place because he was like, no, these kinds of families do just live yeah. down the street from well, us. I'm glad to hear that because that does make it feel a little bit more real, right? Yeah. I mean, if you put I it mean, in the I mean, that's part park. of the problem with Trailer Park Boys. That yeah. is a farce. And it's a great time, but it's... It's, there's only parts of it that are real. Like yeah. you have to take it with a grain of salt, you yeah. know, but. Yeah. It would, it would have made it a bit more, feel a bit more like a parody as opposed to an actual. Yes, like, exactly. You know, dramedy, dark dramedy kind of thing where right. some of it does bring a little bit more true. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, seems like you're into it because again, it's this relatable factor. I mean, not necessarily that you are like William H. Macy, <laughs> but the idea that, you know, we all know somebody like this and we can connect with that kind of material. Okay. So I'm wondering five years ago when you first started to watch, yes, you've mentioned that it was interesting to see him in this different role, but right. how much did you maybe connect with the kids? Because we're still young. Neither of us have kids, so we can't really put ourselves in that kind of... I mean, we can, to an extent, put ourselves in the parental role, but I feel like in your description here, when I'm watching, I might put myself more in the kid role still. So sure. was there any... Like, how was your connection with those characters? So it was hard to pick which character I might find the most in common with. Yeah. Um, in, in a good way. Uh, each character had their own individual issues and problems going on. Mm -hmm. um, you have the one son who is secretly gay, didn't know it at the time, finds out from the bully that kept beating him up, turns out to be his lover later on. Uh, you have the kid who like just likes to blow shit up and steal shit from his neighbors, but then he goes into the military. Like it, it was hard to pick which character, you know, I could find the most common ground with. Yeah. Um, but I think what drew me to them was that you kind of wanted to fight for them. Sure. You know, you wanted them to yeah. succeed, even though they're all whacked out in their own way. I mean... I feel like you can't blame any of them. Like, even the Emmy Rossum character, like, they've just been given such a shitty situation. Well, like, absolutely, you know, yeah. I mean, the mom comes some... back into the picture oh, okay, here interesting. and there I was going to ask you about her next, so. Yeah, so that becomes another booze, booze sorry, and drug-fueled uh, affair between her and the father, and it kind of just fucks the kids up more, and then wow. she disappears again, which further fucks them up. Totally. Uh, there's a black kid in the family. The family is a white Caucasian family. Mm -hmm. um, in the most recent season, trying to figure out who he is as an American, mm -hmm. as a young African-American. So in each episode... In a white he, family. Yeah. Being raised by a, like a... In the south side of Chicago. Very st stereotypical white drug addict alcoholic. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so in each episode, he dresses up as a different black historical figure, Martin Luther King. Okay. Um... Tupac Shakur. I'm not, yep. I'm not sure I'd call him a historical figure, but, um, but he's I trying would, yeah. to, yeah, in a way, I guess, yeah. but he's trying to find out who he is. I mean, it's hilarious. Like that, I think that's what drew me to the kids the most. They yeah, were, that must also be really endearing though. I feel like that's a really interesting character arc to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite character amongst the kids, uh, his name is Lip or okay. for short, his name is Philip. But he I always, love that. yeah, right. Yeah, he's always actually seemed the most level-headed of the entire family. He's he's always found a way to make money. Uh, he was the only one of the family to make it into a university, which didn't end up working out. But uh, and now he has a new son. Okay. Um, his wife had, huh. or his girlfriend had complications during birth, and she was in the hospital for a while. So it kind of showed him 
at least for a period of time, being a single father. Right. And it was kind oh. of funny to see that. The parallel. The opposite side and, of it, though. Like, he yeah. was, yeah, instead of his father, right. he was great with his son. Yeah. You know, he wanted to make sure that nothing ever happened, almost to a fault. For but, sure. You're, uh, like, overcompensating for what your father couldn't give you. Yeah. And, yeah. But it was just funny to see that that parallel, as you put it. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it was really, really interesting to see. Mm. So they do try to dive a little bit deeper than just the... The drugs and alcohol. Yeah, just making light of that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, okay, so when the show starts, how old are all the kids? Like, just age range. I would say, like, the younger kids are probably, like, a little bit below 10. Okay. Um, between between 5 to 10. Yeah. And then the others are teenagers, like, high school age. Like okay. Like, between 15 and so, 18. And so, I mean, it being on for 10 seasons, I mean, you've watched them grow up, up, obviously, yeah. and one of them's having a kid, and yeah. Yeah. So that's crazy. I... I I always, like, it's back and forth love-hate for me because I feel like some shows need to end. Like, 10 seasons is a fucking, that's a lot of seasons. Yeah, Um, you're not wrong. But it is also really nice to grow up with people and to watch that change and to watch the evolution of a family and of just a character over that long of a time. Well, it makes you look at, like, a show like this makes you look at your own life. Yeah. I I think that's actually another interesting about it and maybe what caught my interest is as they've grown up, like... You know, from when I was their age as a kid yeah. to where I am now, the differences. Yeah. And it's the show for someone like myself or, or us who, who grew up where we did. Yeah. It, it makes you feel really good. It makes you kind <laughs> yeah, of appreciate sure. the little things a bit yeah, more, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. not take so much for granted. So maybe that's the underlying theme of it all. I don't know. But uh, I think that's a great point. I mean, if it if it causes a little bit of self-reflection and yeah. you can get a different perspective on things, I mean, that's a really good example of art impacting your life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, kind of to touch on what you said about, you know, a show going too long. I think one of the biggest reasons this show is going to like, what's going to help it to continue at least a little bit longer um, was f- the character of Fiona leaving. She was mm. a major character. Yeah. And even though, I was a little happy to see her go. I still didn't know, like, how are they going to carry on the show after that? Yeah, for sure. She was a huge part of it. It's a huge change, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's only into about four episodes, four or five episodes so far in the new season. They're doing really well without her. And, again, it it was admittedly one of those moments where I thought, okay, like, how are they going to carry on the show without a character like that? But so far, so good. Sometimes that's the best thing for a show is it just totally revolutionizes what's happening and you have to work your way out of that corner and you either fail or you fly, right? And so, yeah, but sometimes it's good enough to just shake shit up like that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, any any final thoughts on Shameless? Anything you think that people should know? No, no, not really. No, all uh, good, yeah. Uh, as simple as it sounds. But oh, shit, I, I, go ahead, yeah, yeah. No, no. I had one more question. Absolutely. I meant to ask you about the mother. So I know you mentioned that she comes back, yeah. but so in my head, I just assumed that she died. I don't know why, but clearly not. Well, it's funny they said that because she does. Okay. Um, but, but that's no, she, not the reason that she she's just not took, around No, she just place. took off. Like, uh, okay. she was very much like the husband, William H. Macy's character, Frank, um, she was a drug addict and yeah. alcoholic. She left because she just wanted to bang a bunch of other dudes. Cool. And, you know, she thought she Live found free. sobriety, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
live your best life. <laughs> yeah, but I uh, guess so. she thought she found sobriety, and then you know she comes back into Frank's life, and oh wow, the booze fueled uh, shenanigans restart. But yeah, so she does come back into their lives, and she does actually make an attempt at uh, coming back in the right way. She wants to be a part of her kids' lives and yeah. kind of make up for lost time, but. I guess someone with those addictions can only do so well in a situation like that. Well, and when you go back to the environment that is only sort of encouraging it, right? Yeah, you're yeah. stoking the fires, right? Yeah. So, yeah, eventually... That's, uh, that's too bad. That's Yeah, kind eventually of she does part. die, and um, so, but she does leave the kids, the family, with a nice parting gift. Um, she had, I believe it was tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of meth, so that was their inheritance. Oh, my God. So, uh, I mean, at least they got something out of it, I guess. Oh, my God. So what the fuck do you even do with that? Like, so now <laughs> well, you have to be sell a drug dealer? Yeah. They, okay. they sell it off, yeah. I mean, hey. Fiona bought herself an apartment building and, uh, you know, before she left the show. and Yeah. Um, one of the other sisters, she buys a bunch of fancy clothing and jewelry and then returns it a month later. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's helped them out somehow. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What a parting gift. Yeah, right. Jesus. <laughs> I kind of like the fact that the mother didn't die because I think it's so tropey that we have so many stories where a woman will die to kind of mm. advance the plot right. of everyone else around them. And there's never really like a backstory or any like credit given to that character. Off, but absolutely. I kind of like the idea that this woman, I mean, not that it's a good thing and not that I suggest people do it, but I think it's kind of interesting that she just fucked off. And well, yeah. it also showed a little bit more where the kids came from, right? Totally. Like aside from the father. Yeah. Like you, you get to understand a little bit more about even them. Yeah, because it's not like you're just dealing with the loss and the grief. It's like your mom just left you. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, a whole absolutely. other level of fucked up. And, and I mean, that that was kind of part of the show when you find out that the mother has died. I mean, they all feel like she left them again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, wow. It did have those kind of real moments. You yeah. Know? Um, but I feel like I interrupted you a little bit before when you were saying maybe a, a final word on the show. So fair enough. I, I mean, as simple as the show sounds for anybody who hasn't watched it. Yeah. I don't it, know. It, to me, it sounds pretty complex. Yeah, it, it is in its own right. Like, I mean, it, it's really, I think what it all boils down to in the end that really would draw anybody in is the acting from okay. every single member of the cast, yeah. at, least, at least the main cast. You, you get to see some of these actors, especially one like William H. Macy, not so new anymore, but again, if you haven't seen the show and all you've seen is, is for sure. work, yeah, this is going to blow you away. Yeah, like, like it sounds so easy to play an alcoholic. It's not, but to play it convincingly and not look like you're just trying to portray some stupid comedy. Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's you tough, have to have I'm the sure. physicality down. It's not just about the voice. It's not just about yeah. It's like there's a whole vibe you got to step into. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean. Not to brag, but I have been in three murder mysteries and I've always won best <laughs> performance, but I've always found that the hardest place to tap into is drunk. Absolutely. It's very difficult. You, you so. did it very well this year. It worked, <laughs> it worked out real well. And I wasn't even drunk, guys. I did not even <laughs> have enough to drink. That's the point, right? Absolutely. <laughs> The Leftovers was a drama on HBO that aired for three seasons from 2014 until 2017. It was created by Damon Lindelof and based on the book of the same name by Tom Parada. It starred Justin Thoreau, Carrie Coon, Regina King, Christopher Eccleston, and many more. 
Many people dismiss The Leftovers early on in its run, calling it too sorrowful and a little heavy on the ambiguity. I rarely ever say this because I know every TV show can't be for everyone, but those people seriously miss the point with this one. And honestly, it's their loss because this show was a breathtakingly beautiful addition to the world of televisual art. Also, how can you go wrong with a show that had Justin Theroux running in tight sweatpants or emerging from a bathtub completely nude? I mean, what more could you want, people? I mean, I have more to say. So much, in fact, I could probably fill a small book. I could talk endlessly about the striking visuals and direction from the intimate and powerful close-ups to the gorgeous and grand views of New York, Texas, and Australia. We could spend weeks discussing the exceptional performances from each and every cast member, from bit part to main player, everyone brought their A-game on this show. I could wax poetic about how the pacing was so delicately designed, providing answers exactly when they were most vital to the story, and keeping you content while still longing for more. The flawless writing and storytelling seemed effortless, undoubtedly making writers everywhere, this gal included, both envious and inspired. And the music, both its original score and the pre-existing song choices, was a hauntingly beautiful work of art all unto itself. Dissecting these elements individually is perfectly fine, too, but to consider them as a whole is where the magic happens. Each piece of this glorious puzzle contributed to the masterpiece, working together to create a show best described as an emotional powerhouse. Each episode of The Leftovers is an experience. One facial expression, one line of dialogue, one simple note of music could instantly break you in a most liberating way. It could reduce you to a puddle of tears, have you laughing hysterically, trigger a state of self-reflection, and ultimately leave you with an immense sense of hope. If HBO suddenly announced this show was coming back for more, I would not be mad. But I'm also not as distraught without the show as I once thought I might be. Our collective desire for more and more seasons of every show has become so common and we often wind up getting more than we bargain for with very little, if any, closure. The Leftovers was rare in its ability to gift its audience with a sense of true satisfaction. The place in which the series concluded truly felt like its ending. Despite all of its ambiguity, particularly in the final sequence, there was an unmistakable tone of resolution. The Leftovers found a way to let the mystery be while leaving us feeling completely comfortable in the unknown. This show offered us something outside of the box, something that rose above the current TV landscape so inundated with puzzle box narratives all predicated on how well it can execute its twists, turns, and reveals. In letting the mystery be... In leaving several doors of thought wide open, The Leftovers became a show I'll be thinking about for decades to come. The clouds of uncertainty that still linger over it are far more powerful than any possible answers the show could have given us. All right, well, let's move into your third and final pick for the night, um, Atypical. Yeah. So this is the most recent show Very on your different list. different than the last two. <laughs> what's, what's that? Very different than the last two. Oh, okay, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess, well, no, I mean, there's a comedy element to all of your shows, mm-hmm. but this one's maybe a little bit lighter. I feel like that's what you're getting at, or? In a way, yeah, but I mean, I feel like it, it 
touches on certain subjects that, especially for some, might hit a little bit closer, even closer to home. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah, you, you. So, can, uh, okay. So it's been airing since August of 2017. It's still airing. I think we just had the, the third season. Mm-hmm. It's a Netflix show. Yeah. So three seasons. It's a coming of age kind of series created by Rubia Rashid and stars Jennifer Jason Lee and Michael Rapaport, which are the only two people I know. The rest of them are kind of these younger relative newcomer actors. Yeah. And, um, it focuses on the life of 18-year-old Sam Gardner, who is on the autism spectrum. Now, when I was, again, doing all my research on Wikipedia, <laughs> the first season, I guess, was really criticized for the lack of representation for autistic actors and, like, the portrayal of people on the spectrum. But it, clearly they have listened to the sort of backlash because it seems that the second season really course corrected and they mm-hmm. brought in a lot more actors that are actually, actually autistic, autistic or on yeah. the spectrum or whatever. And they brought in some writers to really like kind of beef up to the writer's room that, and yeah. make better storylines happen. So I think that's kind of cool. Like I think so often first seasons can be so shaky. And especially if you're dealing with subject matter like this and you're not calling that in the right very people. Sensitive. Yeah. Exactly. You're right. Trying so I, to do it as proper as possible. For sure. Like I'm sure everyone involved was extremely nervous going into it at first. Cause this can be a very, you would hope so. You would hope that there would be the compassion there, right? Yeah. The, the good kind of nervous Absolutely. that you hope it's coming across. Yeah. Right. But, but I love this idea that they actually heard the outcry and made changes. They did, they weren't Absolutely. just like, well, fuck you guys. Like we're just going to do our thing, do our, but they yeah, actually, yeah, they course corrected. So, um, I, I definitely want to know your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. But first again, how does it make your list? Okay, so this is a subject for me that I, that hits close to home. Okay. Um, when I was younger, I volunteered at a lot of uh, after four school programs. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it, it's a program when school ends for kids to do sports or arts or anything like that. So cool. Uh, activities. Um, yeah. And I did one where it, it wasn't a class for anyone on the spectrum, but there was a young boy in mm-hmm. the class who was. And for some reason, he took a real shining to me and I, I to him. He was just the sweetest little dude ever. That was kind of my first introduction to anybody on the spectrum. But aside from that, uh, one of my best friends in life, Kyle, the, the gentleman from Chicago. Okay. Uh, his daughter has a form of autism. Okay. Uh, her name is Ava. She is, as she puts it, my American girlfriend, and I'm her Canadian boyfriend. Um, she is. So she's telling all of her friends at summer camp that, oh, like, totally, I have totally. a boyfriend, but he lives in Canada, so you wouldn't know him. <laughs> it actually, story for another time, but that was a problem at one of her birthdays. Her mother didn't know that this was a situation, just a joking situation, obviously. Gotcha. And took a lot of offense to the fact that her daughter had a boyfriend and she didn't know about it. Uh oh. Um, she got real jealous when she met Jen this past summer. Um, oh, but, Ava did? Yeah. 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 But, uh, but she Aww. is just the most beautiful, sociable, intelligent little girl. Yeah. Like, so, so yeah, like this, this, the subject really hit close to home. And before I really even knew what the show was about, I knew I was going to watch it. Mm-hmm. And I'm no expert by sure. any means. Um, but I felt they did a pretty darn good, uh, job in the first season. I mean, they weren't trying to poke fun they 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 weren't trying to put anyone down who's on the spectrum they were trying to show the world that it doesn't matter on the spectrum or not we all want the same things in life we're all capable of doing the same things in life yeah yeah 
Uh, you know, I, I believe in the first season he was in high school and he wanted to go to college. Well, yeah. he, he did. Yeah. You know, the second and third season, he's in college. He's in, he's in there for arts. And again, it's something I felt that they have portrayed so incredibly. <laughs> um, what they have to deal with, with their families, what the families have to, how they have to kind of adapt their lives. Yeah. You know, it's it's just incredible. And I, and I think the entire cast has done so beautifully. Uh, the mother played by Jennifer Jason Lee. I mean, she's great. She is. You can't go she, wrong with she, JJL. She is. And um, one of her, I, I guess, jobs, uh, one of her careers in the show is uh, she cuts hair for okay. people on the spectrum. Okay. And uh, she kind of like shows how she's found different ways to help them feel comfortable, help gotcha. them feel calm during a situation yeah. like that. Um, but you, you know, it's really funny. I actually, like I had heard some of the backlash about the first season, but not all of it, mm -hmm. but it is something I did notice, um, them bringing in a lot of actors who actually are on the spectrum and, and it's incredible to see. It's really incredible. Like I, yeah. I think that they truly do care and they want to get the right message out there. For sure. How, however that is through the writing, through the actors, whatever. And like, like do you, do you see the difference between the seasons in that way? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Cause in the first season, I mean, Sam, the main character, he didn't, he, he didn't really see any of his friends or if he had any friends right. that were on the spectrum, like, like he is. You saw a great connection between him and uh, another boy that he worked with at an electronic store, kind of like a Best Buy. Okay. Which was just so cool to see that, yeah, there are also people out there who don't give a shit, Spectrum or not, you're a good dude. Gotcha. We're going to be yeah. buddies, you know? Yeah. But in the second season, to kind of see <laughs> him being able to hang out with people, you know, who are um, in the same boat and- yeah. Uh, that, that was something that his mom and wanted him to do. share experiences. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. not that they can't share experiences with somebody that's not on the spectrum, but it is just different. It's, but I think that it was... It's like women being able to hang out with women. It, you know, like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Like, yeah. his mom wanted to see other success stories out there. Sure. Because he was feeling uncomfortable in his world. Gotcha. You know, he, he didn't know, how, how do I keep friends? How do I succeed at school? How yeah. do I do all this? But yeah. he saw that there was other people just like him yeah who are doing everything that he like accomplishing all the things that he wanted to do as well yeah well and I think I mean for a lot of people I don't think they even have the experience that you have I don't think a lot of people know anybody that's on the spectrum or maybe they do but they're not aware fair enough yeah and so I think shows like this are really important just the same as having more stories about gay people trans people people of color all Absolutely. of that kind of stuff is really important and so I think when I was reading that stuff about the first season versus second season I think what stood out most to me was the fact that they hired more actors mm -hmm. that are actually on the spectrum because yeah. I think when you are somebody that is in that position and you're watching that show, it it might feel a little strange to watch somebody that doesn't actually deal with that in real life Absolutely, portray you yeah. on television. It's hard so to, to just yeah, so to see those people that are actually living that life come on the screen and represent them. Right. It's I mean, representation matters so much, right? Absolutely. So and that's I going just, back to that message you wanted to portray portray. Uh, anybody on the spectrum in the right light. Yeah. I mean, now that's giving the audience, you know, hope. Like, okay, well, they're in a TV show. Yeah, you know, totally. I can do anything I want. Yeah, like that's absolutely, absolutely incredible. Yeah, like, it, it and melts I mean, my heart. it's it like it sounds like I don't know. Like, part of me is like, well, yeah. I mean, they should be able to do anything, but also I'm a pretty progressive thinker. I I mean, I mm. like to think, right? So I don't know if everybody thinks that way, right? So it might still be. 
it might be a show that for some people they're actually learning like to release that bias in yeah, a way absolutely. And, and like, like have a I think different there's a lot of people out there for one they don't understand you know on, sure. on the lighter side of things yeah. there's a lot of people who just don't understand yeah so when they say you know oh well i don't know if that person could do job x well right. they're not trying to be rude they they're just, just have a no little idea. sheltered and ignorant yeah and, and yeah. then there is the opposite side of that there's to put it bluntly the assholes, assholes. out there <laughs> yeah. who think oh well no one on the spectrum could do what yeah. i do yeah well you know what there is and they could probably do it better than you mm-hmm. you know i mean it's kind of just going back off my other point but it's just good to normalize quote unquote these things like yeah. just to make it i mean we should have probably 15 shows that are exactly like atypical you know what i mean like it, we should be saturated with that content but unfortunately yeah. we're not so no. it's good when and again i just think it's really impressive when a show hears the call out from the fans, from the people that are actually dealing with that kind of thing. And and they're like, yep, we need to fix it. We need to be better. Yeah. We're going to be better because we actually care about making this work of art. Yeah. They take feel, it to heart. Yeah, it, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. It translates. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and to kind of touch back on when you said like just a show like this, I don't know, honestly, like I just don't know if a show like this ever really existed before. Um, I, I don't want to say it's the first of its kind, but it's the first that really stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, I know that, uh, there's a show called the good doctor yep. where the main character is on the spectrum as well. That's right, and there's yeah. been a lot of the same backlash for that show because the, the lead actor who I think he's a fantastic actor, but I don't necessarily think he should be playing somebody on the spectrum. I think he has like a buttload of roles out there for him that he could be playing and they should give it he to was somebody. Norman Bates, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, all that aside, he's very talented. I think they could have given it to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And that is a show where I stopped watching because I don't think they did listen to the critical reaction. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I don't know this person very well. I just kind of know him through the internets. But I saw a lot of his comments on the show and he was saying, like, this is not the experience. This is not right. This is like you're really kind of romanticizing the idea of this kind of person. And it really does not reflect what I know this to be. And it didn't get any better. So I stopped watching. Like, I'm just not going to give them my ratings. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, So this idea that they really listened, it just really sticks out to me. And I really appreciate that. And I think they try to show every aspect of it, you know, the good and the bad. Like they show moments where. Well, yeah, if they sugarcoated it, that would be shit too, because that wouldn't be, you know, the nuanced perspective. Absolutely. Like they show, they do show moments where Sam's world is just crashing down around him and what something like that has to go through. Like what, it almost puts you in their shoes for a moment. You can kind of understand a little bit more, right? Like yeah. that's incredible to make a show like this as relatable as it can be. For sure, be, yeah. You know, for someone who doesn't fully understand it. Well, and I think that's great. Like the words that you just use, put your, like you can put yourself in their shoes. I mean, I think that's what good television should be able to do. You yeah. should be able to feel... I mean, it should translate across screen. You should be Absolutely. able to feel what's going on and you should be able to feel that empathy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anything else about uh, Atypical that people should know? Well, kind of like I've been saying, if you are on the prior side of what we were saying about before, the, the, the spectrum of people who either just don't understand it or you're an asshole, yeah. watch this show. Regardless <laughs> hey, of what, Yeah, like watch this show. Like maybe this could help to give everyone a bit of a better understanding about what life is like for someone on the spectrum yeah. and their families and their friends. You know, you get a bit better idea of how it all works for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, I think it could teach you a lot 
And I think it could open up a lot of eyes and, yeah. you know, help people to realize that's exactly what we are. We're all just people. Like, yeah. the, the, this show, I, I, can't, I can't help but think how it touches my heart every time I see it. And, and I know it does for so many people. I, I can't imagine families who do, you know, have a child on the spectrum, what, what this must do for them. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, you know, it's all taken in a positive way because, again, I think that's what they're trying to do. Right. But um, I think it's just an amazing show that kind of shows you something different. This isn't just another Letterkenny or Shameless. Like, sure. yes, it does have those comedic moments for sure. <laughs> well, it's sure. not just another sitcom either. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, the, this it really, really has some heart and it, it can teach you a lot of new stuff. For sure. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's, I mean, how many coming of age shows do we have just about a bunch of teenagers doing their thing? And like, maybe some of them will pop up every now and again that have like their own fresh perspective, but this right. is, it certainly feels like this is one too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Couldn't have put it better. Yeah. All right. Well, so that's it for your top picks, but did you have any kind of runners up, like ones that almost made the list, but didn't quite make the cut? Um, I do have some that I believe uh, some of your other guests have talked about, like I like Brooklyn yeah. Nine Nine, yeah. or um, but those were truly the three that kind of stood out. Maybe yeah. some for simpler reasons than others, sure. but I, 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 you know, it was funny when when you asked me to come on the show, and mm-hmm. I was trying to think of uh, different shows I could talk about. That was my issue initially. Mm. I, I couldn't really think of a lot of shows that stood out to me from the two thousand tens. Um, a lot of the shows that I was still watching yeah. started before that. Gotcha. So these were the three that started within the last decade that I, I can't stop watching. And, yeah. and even though uh, Shameless, you know, might be coming to its end, I don't know, with Fiona being gone, like who knows where that's going to go. And Letter Kenny being as choppy as it is with only six episodes a season, regardless of coming out twice a year, I'll, I'll, I go back to them all the time. I've okay, watched yeah. Letterkenny yeah. from the beginning probably about 5 billion times yeah. now. Like so it's I just got can't that rewatchability so, for you. Yeah. And yeah. same with even a show like Atypical. I've gone back and watched that quite a few times. Yeah. Like these shows just stick with me. Well, so Tyler was the guy who picked Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. And that was one of the things that we talked about on that episode as well. It's like, it's just a show that you can go back to so yeah. many times. I it mean, it's, true. Um, it doesn't like even we, matter what episode. Like no, it, it really doesn't. And I mean, you can go right back to the very beginning and watch it all again. It's that just that kind of show that it feels so comfortable to step into that space. And yeah. it's really easy to just, yeah. okay, next episode. You yeah, know? and it's, yeah. it's funny. There's been some pretty impactful moments on that show. I mean, even just the loss of some characters like Gina. I yeah. didn't know how that show would carry on after <laughs> losing someone like Gina, but yeah, I mean, well, she pops up every now and then. Yeah, yeah. and that whole cast is she just blesses so incredibly them with her strong. Presence. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean, Captain Holt though, if they ever lost him, I think that oh, would it would break be my heart. Sorry, but uh, there's no show without Captain Holt for me. Yeah, he's the he's the star in my heart. But but no, that's true. I, I think that's why shows. One of the reasons, at least, why shows would stand out, right? I mean, if you like you said, if you can go back and watch it yeah. at any time, regardless of what episode. I totally agree with that. I mean, that's the reason, like, that's part of why TV exists, why these shows exist, right? Yeah, and streaming. And yeah. the ability to just go Absolutely, back. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this was one of your shows last year. Um, Walking Dead didn't come back for you. Like, I mean, I know you were excited about it last year after that, like, mid-season finale, but not a show that would make your top... Not my top three. Yeah. Um, I'm still interested. It's still, it has caught, like, kind of re-caught my attention in a way. Um, This past season, or at least the the first half of the season, uh, has been interesting. I mean, the Whispers are, like, 
fully involved now. And uh, it, I, they brought a bit of that horror aspect back mm-hmm. into it, which uh, I think helped to regain a lot of people's interest. Yeah. Um, but it also feels like they're falling into their old tricks where oh, it, God, like it okay. just... They get to a point. I haven't seen anything this season. I don't care if you spoil me. It's not a Fair big enough. deal. But. Well, no, but I, I think without really giving anything away, I, I can I can sum it up pretty well. Like, every episode had that first 45 minutes where you're just enraptured with it. Like, you, you just, yeah. you're dying to know who's going to die, who's going to get killed, like, gotcha. what's going to happen. Yeah. And then the last 15 minutes was just filler. And you were kind of on the fence at the end of the episode, like, Part of you is salivating to find out what's going to happen next week. The other side is like, I don't give a shit. Right. Like, And I mean, over 16 episodes per season, 15 minutes of filler every episode works out to being quite a lot of fucking filler. It does. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. especially when it's at the end. Sure. You know, I so wouldn't care. So what's there to hook you? <laughs> like, yeah, I wouldn't care if it was the beginning even. Where, you know, okay, it starts off a little slow, but it builds up. Or the middle where it's crazy. I mean, or like, never. Like, just write a better never script, would be you better, know? but, like, <laughs> yeah. for fuck's sake, like, yeah. just, you know, maybe fucking plan it out a little bit better. Yeah. But um, Cut it down to ten episodes a season, like. But I think they've set up the second half. I, I think. I, I got a really good feeling this time that they yeah. set up the second half of the season to be as intense as possible. Um, I was watching an interview with Norman Reedus on that that after talk show they do to Talking yeah, Dead. Yeah, um, where th- That's basically what he summed it up as. You know, like the first season, the first half of the season was a story. Okay. The second half is the battle. Okay, gotcha. So... So the action's going to pick up. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to that show. They want to watch the action. Yeah, and it feels like it was all culminating to that anyways. Like, like looking back on some of those filler moments, if you piece them all together, it doesn't feel so bad. Like, it feels like there was a reason for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe if you're binging, right? Like, it's not so bad. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, it's coming, like, I think the battle between the Alexandrians and all the other groups they brought along the way. Um, And the whispers is coming to a head now and it's going to be incredible. Like Negan. It's just, I feel like we've been waiting for that for a while. Yeah. But, but that's the point. Like they, like the parts that are interesting, like it's seemingly right now, Negan has joined the whispers. I mean, you got to think like the whispers and Negan together, it's a pretty fucking dangerous force. I am very angry. (laughs) You said, you didn't care oh, no, 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 I, I'm not angry but, at you. I'm angry at that yeah, because but, I need Negan to be Judas' dad and just Well, again, though, <laughs> like, that's the great thing about a character like Negan, you know what I mean? And especially played by uh, Jeff. Oh, fuck. Awesome, um, we're great. Um, but that dude <laughs> is a phenomenal actor anyways in his own right. And for him to kind of switch sides like that, I, I don't think he has. You know what I mean? Like all all these episodes leading maybe up to he's that, playing them or yeah. I think he's trying to be to to kind of infiltrate them. You know what I mean? Be yeah. that mole. And, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I think he's going to turn on them last minute. I you think, are right, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yes. Thank you. I think he's kind of trying to build trust with them to lead them astray to kind of help that. the Alexandrians and everything. That would be I mean, great. he loves Judith. You know, he still has an attachment to Carl, even though he's gone. Like, I, I think he has a lot of sense of loyalty to them now in a way. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's been a lot of years that he was down there. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah not everybody was so 
cruel to him. A lot of people did show him kindness For while sure. he was, you know, locked up. Yeah. And then when they let him out to kind of become a farmer, a farmer which is a funny yeah. parallel farmer of Negan. Rick. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, like I, I I think he's doing it for the right reasons, and that's that's one of the reasons I'm pumped to see what uh, what next season brings. So yeah. I am still following the show. Yes, I do still love it, but it's just not a, a top three from the Fair past. Enough. Yeah. All right. Well, is there? Do you have a, any social media accounts that you want people to follow you on? I do. I am a writer for a website called Sound Fiction. We do music news and reviews. I think we are in, coming up on our fifth year now. Amazing. So technically, as far as those type of uh, websites go, we're still fairly new. But to still even be around that totally. long, um, I thought a lot of us would have lost interest by now. Um, but, but it's going still strong. going strong. Yeah. The past little bit has been a little bit slow because as you get towards the end of the year, music does slow down quite a bit. Um, so there hasn't been uh, too many reviews coming out or anything like that. But uh, January is around the corner. Mm-hmm. A lot of new music coming out. We already cool. have some reviews lined up. Can't say too much more than that. But uh, Fair enough. we're all you'll, pumped. You'll have to go read the, the article. Exactly. So, so, so where can the they find you? website is soundfiction.net. Okay. Um, you can find us... Uh, uh, just look up Sound Fiction on Instagram. We're the first one to pop up. We're the only one to pop up. So uh, we do have Facebook and Twitter as well. And I'll put it all in the show notes. So. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah, if you guys could give us a little check out, that'd be awesome. Much appreciated. Yeah. Okay, nice. Well, thank you so much for doing the show again. This was great. Thank you. I had a blast. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Damn Fine TV podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation about some of our favorite shows from the past decade. I would love to know what shows have made your list of best shows for the past decade, so be sure to get in touch. You can send me an email, damnfinepod at gmail.com. Come chat with me on Twitter at damnfinetv, or let's connect on Instagram at the.written.witch. In addition to your favorite shows of the past decade, what were some of your favorite themes or uh, progressions in the television landscape that you loved from this past decade? And what kind of stuff are you looking forward to in 2020 and beyond? I can't wait to hear all your picks, all of the things that you're looking forward to. And until next time, guys, if you're watching TV, make sure it's damn fine TV. (laughs) 